Good evening. Good evening. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. We've got to wake up. I, I expect a lot of amens tonight. Amen. <laughs> Emily's preaching, so. It's really sunny. <laughs> Good evening, guys. What a blessing to be with you once again. We were at GIC last in 2013. I was a lot younger then. And um, this time we have another baby in tow. So Sammy's five now. And Juliet is two. And we are adults. <laughs> we are adults. Amen. Amen. We had the joy of... Well, first off, it's just been a joy to hear and be around other... other um, first, our, our sending church family, let me just say, uh, seeing familiar faces and sharing meals together and all that's just been a huge blessing to us. And... Also, to be around other missionaries who are serving around the world. Um, it's always something special when you can be together and share that common link. And just to hear how God is working in their hearts, hear their testimonies of faith. Thank you, John and Kelly, for that. And it's challenging as well, but it's such a blessing to us. As we sat and listened, or sat and ate, um, I only went through the line once. I promised myself, John, you live here now. You don't have to stuff your face. But this, today at lunch we had barbecue and I stuffed my face. But uh, we were reminiscing over the Douglas Connect class. Uh, we came to this church the week before we got married in 2009, July of 2009. Um, and went to a Sunday school class. And then the next week we got married, had honeymoon, came back. And then tried the, the Douglas Sunday school class. And we were just sitting back there reminiscing about the impact that Doug and Christy and their intentional investment in us as a couple and life-changing I mean, and the, and the relationships with Scott and Beth and many of you, um, what it's done in our lives and, and how it's changed us, for sure. You can, you can butt in at any point you would like to, honey. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but it was at GIC in 2010, six years ago, when, um, when we came down front. And I forgot that. Was it David Vance? Was that his name? Missionary from Africa? I don't remember. Um, gave the challenge, and the Holy Spirit spoke simultaneously to us. I remember sitting there and thinking, God, if you want me to go, and I mean, it felt like it was almost audible. I was like, you need to talk, you need to, talk to both of us, okay? Because, you know, I am married, and I'd like to stay that way. So um, that's when Emily says, let's go. It was the craziest thing, and he had done a lot before that to prepare us for that moment. But um, came down and said, hey, we're... I feel like God's calling us to the mission field, and a little over a year later, we actually left. But we found out something really interesting a little bit after that. Yeah, 10 days later after that, we found out that I was pregnant. And that threw a little, you know, spice it up a little bit more. Surprise. <laughs> after we had told our parents um, that we were going to go on the field, then we tell them, we're going to take your grandchild away. And she turned out to be the only girl grandchild for John's mom who raised four boys as well. And had three grandsons already. <laughs> Went over really well, this conversation, for sure. <laughs> and the only grandchild for my parents, so that was hard. I think my favorite question from some of you fellow loving church members was, <laughs> are you going to take the baby with you? <laughs> Where does that question even come from? Anyway. but We did take her with Oh, we did. Yeah. We actually did take her. My mom was sitting there, fingers crossed, listening for the answer. Leave her. Leave her with me. Um, but 
January 1st, 2012, we set off to language school, and then later that year, got to Baba Oyo and spent a year on the coast of Ecuador in Baba Oyo. It's like, imagine Mississippi in August, but all year. Very exciting. Um, I know that the other missionaries probably can relate to even worse than that, but... And roaches this, this size. Of a delicacy, really, um, for us. We, if, you, if you cook them just right, they don't crunch as much, but... So then we, uh, we went there kind of during a vision year in Baba Oyo and, and got a call from friends in language school. Well, we wanted to go visit them. There was a couple that was in language school with us in Costa Rica. And so we went to the coast of Ecuador. They went to Quito to, in the mountains. And we decided to go visit them. We wanted to get involved in camp ministry and felt like that's where the Lord was leading. And we went to visit them. And then they said, hey, you need to come work here. And they had an open position. So we prayed about it and moved up to the mountains and... Um, that's where I led all the ministry programs and programming of the camp and had a team of, over the years, between five and eight, I guess, um, that I invested in. And we led the retreat experience. And Emily worked with interns and was also working hard being a mom and also um, keeping me straight. So it's interesting over the last year, the different experiences that we've had. And we're up here together because we want to communicate Number one, thank you so much for... We're, we're not with the IMB. I don't think we're with the DUMB. I don't know if... John, John was talking about that. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I probably am. Emily's not. But um, We're with Global Outreach out of Tupelo, Mississippi. We're fundraising missionaries. Uh, this church and many members of this church have supported us in an amazing way. And, and I want to I speak as just transparently with you. I hope you take it the right way. I'll let the Lord handle that. But... Um, it can be hard not being with the IMB at a Southern Baptist church. I just want to be honest with you. And come to conferences and you're not with the IMB and you're at a Southern Baptist church. And uh, it hadn't been that way for us here. And just also want to thank you for that and how much this church has invested in us and you have invested in us and thank you. So we, why are we... Yeah, we, go ahead. We've seen God work in amazing ways through you guys um, while we've been on the field. We... We, too, quit our jobs, and I was nine months pregnant, so our parents were thrilled with that very intelligent decision, and we had insurance until the end of August, and Juliet was born July 9th, or Sammy was born July 9th, so praise God for that. <laughs> Amen. And um, so we didn't have anywhere to live, and through church members here, Scott Haley helped us find a place with an old, grumpy lady named Miss Polly. The roaches weren't as big there as in Baba <laughs> Oyo. No, but she loved us, loved that baby, and um, when we got there, we went to go pay Polly for our first month's rent, and she's like, people must love you, and we're like, okay, and she said, well, someone's paid your rent the whole time you're here, and we've always had our suspicions, but we won't talk we about did, that. We did feel very loved, Yeah. and um, so, you know, people here were blessing us for being faithful, and God was working in their hearts. And that theme, has we have seen that every time we take a step of faith, we have seen God work through somebody else to either help us out or he's done something amazing. I was talking to the kids' church, and I was saying it's really hard when you move away from family because you're sad. I mean, I, my first culture experience, I like to say, is I moved to Mississippi <laughs> from Chicago suburbs. And then I moved to teach at Como Elementary, so that too was a challenge and a blessing. 
Um, but God brings up and raises up um, his, his sons and daughters to be your family. I mean, we have several individual family members here who have had us over to eat, held me when I'm crying about my kids in my classroom being so mean to me, and um, we've had that too in Ecuador, where God provides family wherever you're, where you're at, and um, you just have to be open to receive it. So. Yeah, thank you for being our family, and, and we, as part of our family, and such an important part, we want to share with you um, what the next steps for us are. As Jason said, we got in Wednesday night. And it's kind of funny, you know, people see at church, oh my goodness, you're here. How long are you here? We're not going back. <gasps> you know, it's just kind of been this funny, this funny conversation, you know. Um, when in May, we went to a member care conference in Costa Rica that our organization was doing. So our CEO was there and some other people. And we weren't necessarily going to go. Long story short, God provided the money the way we went. And we met our new CEO and, and spent a couple of days with him. <laughs> and he made the Really, when he was introducing himself in this kind of new initiative with global outreach, we really felt excited and that we wanted to continue to stay with this organization for as long as God will allow us to be there. He was talking specifically more about how to make global financially stable because they do not take any cut of the fundraising that we raise, um, and that's pretty unique in organizations. And also his um, passion for taking care of missionaries doing, um, having counselors on staff when missionaries are having a hard time, um, amping up the staff for member care. It just, we were excited. We were catching this vision with him. What we didn't realize was that in day three, I think it was, of the member care conference, he asked us to come be some of those people. <laughs> and that was kind of a surprise. You know, you, you leave Ecuador, yeah, we'll be back in a week. And, and you go and you go to that conference and he asked us to come and join the home office staff in Tupelo and do a variety of things, one of which is, is member care, and to join a, really a movement of people we see coming along our sending organization who are passionate about taking care of missionaries. And I loved hearing uh, Jamie up here yesterday during the interview. It was yesterday, right? Or am I mixing up my days? Um, and she said something that is the same language I used on the phone with you, Wade, um, actually a month ago, and that is we want to see missionaries thrive on the field. You know, a lot of times we, we, we use language in, in missions organizations about keeping missionaries on the field or supporting missionaries on the field. You know, we want to we see missionaries thrive on the field and have an amazing gospel impact. Um, being on the mission field in whatever context you're in is, is, is a challenge for sure. And I know that global outreach, the way it was founded with a, you know, we're going to prepare you and send you off and, See you when you come home is kind of the mentality. You can call and ask questions, of course, but to see it shift to an organization that wants its missionaries to thrive on the field and keep reaching the ends of the earth for, for the kingdom is something we're really excited about. I'm excited about playing a role in that. And um, through just different events in our own family dynamics, and um, God's really taught us a lot. I've been dealing with chronic nerve pain for over a year and really have... You know, at times felt anxiety and alone and just really isolated, even though we have a community of other missionaries there. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I felt like I needed help. And our organization did reach out to us and emailed us asking what we could do. We had people here emailing and praying, but it really gave me a passion and a heart 
for other people that are around the world or even here that are feeling, we're feeling those same feelings that I was feeling. Um, and through that, I feel like, I felt like when he, Stedman, made that offer, I was like, yes, I want to be a part of that. I feel passionate for that. And there is a huge need for that that we've seen in our own family and with friends that we've seen on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's not that it was really hard and we decided to move home. It was, it's extremely difficult. Oh, you want us to help other missionaries that feel the same way. Amen. Let, let, us, let us do that and let us help. Part of the deal, um, as we close, we're still fundraising missionaries based in the United States, essentially, um, as Global isn't in the financial position yet to provide a salary for us from their funds. So we'll continue to um, ask the church to, to stand by us and keep investing in us and, and helping us support 253 missionary families around the world. So we just wanted to share that with you guys, um, our family, and do it together. And we'll be in Tupelo eventually. We have a busy couple of days here. Tomorrow we'll drive to Chicago, leave the girls with Emily's parents. Wednesday we'll fly to Dakar, Senegal, as part of our first assignments with our new roles. So um, happy we got to spend three days in Hernando, Mississippi with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. He's going to preach now. <laughs> Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing and inviting us uh, to be on mission with you. What a privilege, Father. I pray that this message would be um, a challenging one, God, that you use to speak to hearts and to move people closer to you and on mission with you. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, Sunday morning and just kind of a, a, what is that in English? Summary. A summary of what we've seen up until this point. Sunday morning, for those of you who weren't there, um, Steve Smith preached and talked about hastening the day, about the urgency of, of what's going on in the world and being a part of what God's doing. And last night, um, Brother Ford preached to us about the person that's waiting for us. And I, it's such a beautiful, thank you for that, talking about Lydia and Acts, and such a beautiful example of, you know, across the street or around the world, the people that God has placed in our path and wants to use us to bring them to Him. And, you know, after, after leaving that, and for me, I think the logical next step is, okay, there's an urgency and there's... Somebody waiting, right? And so, okay, what do I do now? It's kind of, kind of where we are tonight. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about, that we are made for mission, that we are made for mission, and talk a little bit about how do we get involved with that. So if you go to Judges, wow, didn't expect that one, did you, Jason? <laughs> missions conference, Judges 6. Missions conferences, we love the New Testament. You know, we go to Acts, we do all this stuff, and John takes us to Judges. Very thrilling, very exciting. Judges. And honestly, when, sometimes when I talk about the Old Testament, you can try to follow me as I tell this story. Um, skim along. I'll occasionally mention a verse where I am telling the story. And we'll go essentially six through eight, unless you want me to read every verse, which I don't think you do. Can everybody confirm that by doing this? Okay. Some of you are saying yes. Don't tempt me. I will, be, I will do it. I was a classroom teacher and love inflicting pain on students. So... <laughs> All right, Judges, how we have here is, is this gap between, so there's Joshua that comes before Judges, and, you know, Israelites in the Promised Land, and what we see in the first chapters of Judges is 
And again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then God sends someone to, you know, straighten them out. And then there's peace in the land for so many years. Then again, Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. This repetitive cycle that we love judging. And that's why it's actually called judges. We get to judge them, right? That's what we get to do in our high society. I would never do that. Well, how many times have you done it today? That's the question, right? Anyway, so we get to chapter 6. And it begins with, and I'm in, I'm in the NIV. Um, my ESV is in a box somewhere. And that's all I know right now. That's all I can tell you. So I hope that's okay. And it starts with, again, the Israel's, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Wow. So we see here that it was so bad they would come in and they would destroy everything. Everything, the Midianites. It says there later in, the, in, in chapter 1, just a couple of verses down, it's, I mean chapter 6, it says that, you know, the Midianites get together with the Malachites and they get together with other eastern peoples and there would be so many of them that you couldn't even begin to count them and they would come in and destroy everything. And it says there in the verse that we're seeing that they, um, the Israelites would hide in caves and mountain clefts, hide while they could. The people would come through and it said they would kill even donkeys and cattle and sheep. I mean, they would kill everything and destroy everything like a swarm of locusts. So we have the picture here of what's going on. Israel turns away. God judges them and sends in these people. And this goes on for seven years. Midian, it says in verse 6, Midian treated them so badly that they finally called out to the Lord. It only took seven years which is amazing to me. It's like, you know, I like hiding in a cave and people ransacking our land. And I guess by year seven, they got sick of it. So they cried out to the Lord for help. And so the God does something interesting here. He sends a prophet to tell them, I told you so. So let's see what he says here in verse eight. The Lord sends a prophet and says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord, your God, Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. But you have not listened to me. And that's where we see Gideon here. Angel of the Lord comes and Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Do you see what's happening there? It says, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So he is where you should be outside in the open letting the wind help you thresh the wheat And help clear this up. He's hiding out of fear in a wine press doing this work. So that's where we see Gideon scared and working in a place that doesn't even make sense. And the angel of the Lord says something really interesting. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which I just think is kind of funny. Because he's hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press. And Gideon's response is, is also pretty interesting. He says, really, really, really the Lord's with us? I mean, have you seen the condition that we're in? That they're ransacking us? And, you know, where, where is this God? Where is this God that our ancestors told us about? Where's the God that would protect us and the one that delivered us from Egypt? But he has abandoned us and given us into the hand of, of the Midianites. That doesn't make any sense. And so the angel here says, or it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And 
And, and this is where we kind of see kind of like Moses the burning bush, in the burning bush. But, 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 but. And so Gideon says, but, you know, I am the weakest and the weakest family of the weakest clan. I, I just don't see how this is, this is, is going to work out. And the Lord says, I'm going to be with you there in, in verse 16. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. And so Gideon says, okay, if, if I have found favor in your eyes, wait right here. Which I don't, see this turn, I don't see this turn coming in the story. When you're reading it and this interaction's happening, he tells God to wait. So he, puts, he pauses the DVR, right? He puts, he puts God on hold there. He leaves, prepares an, uh, a sacrifice, comes back. Long story short, fire flares and, and the sacrifice is consumed. Gideon sees the Lord face to face. He says, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. God assures him he's not going to die. And as Travis saying earlier, you were peace. He makes an altar that says the Lord is peace. So he has this interaction with the Lord where they, they interact. He's told to go and that the Lord's going to be with him. So he, now he's on this mission, right? So the first part of his mission, God says, if we look down there in verse 25, says, the same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper altar to the Lord using the wood of the Asherah pole. Wow. So before you go off and, and fight against the Midianites that I'm going to give you, I want you to go and tear down your dad's altars. But he's scared, right? He's really scared. I mean, this is the same guy who's, again, threshing wheat in a wine press. He's really scared. And so... Um, he decides he's going to go with 10 men, but he's going to go at night. Okay? So he's going to go at night. So he goes at night. They sneak in there. They tear it down. He does what God asks him to do. And then the next day, the men of the town wake up, and Baal's altar is demolished. And the Asher poles cut down, and in verse 29, they ask each other, who did this? And I find it interesting here that Gideon's dad, now Gideon had the altars, Okay, dads, if you can imagine, um, I, don't, I don't know what this would be today and age. Maybe uh, you're watching your college football game on, on Saturday and the sun's supposed to come in and stop you because that's our idol more, right, in, in college football? No? Nobody wants to admit it? Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, okay. So um, he's like, you know, God, I'm not going to go do that, but I'll go at night and delete it off the DVR. Then dad wakes up the next morning livid. Livid. My dad doesn't like college football, but if Sammy did that to me, it's own, brother. And it's got like bubble guppies recorded over it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, so, but God is, def- I mean, uh, Gideon's dad, Joash, is def- defending him and says, you know what? If Baal wants to deal with, with Gideon, Baal can deal with Gideon. You know, if, if, if Baal's upset about this, he can deal with him. Let them deal with it. So from then, man, I had a list of words I was going to ask Wade how to pronounce. Ah! I forgot to Google it. Hey, uh, Wade, how do you say that there? Let Bell contend with him. What is Jerub Bell or something? Jerub? You're not helping. You've been to seminary. I have not. All right. So it's that time of year again, folks. Here come the Midianites. They're getting together out in the valley. Um, 
And it's time for Gideon. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon, right? He sends messengers out. He recruits his force. And we're excited. We're ready. And then something interesting happens. Um, Gideon's kind of scared again. And he says, you know, if, you're, if, if God, if this is really you, can you hear yourself saying that? God, if this is really you, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out this fleece. And what I really, you know, what I really need is I'm going to put the fleece down. And you're going to make, you're going to make the fleece wet, but everything else dry. And then I'm going to know that I'm going to go. Okay? Have you all done that? God, if this is really you speaking to me. Okay. Well, God's God, and, and he, he's faithful. So the next day he gets up, and he picks up his fleece. He's like, oh, boy. Oh, no. And he wrings it out, and just a ton of water comes pouring out of this thing. He's like, you know, God, if this is really you, um, what we're going to do is we're going to do this again, this little exercise, but I want, I want the fleece to be dry and everything else to be wet. So the next day, that's how it was. And Gideon's, I don't know what he's thinking at this point, but he's not he's not too terribly excited, it seems. So, we move into chapter 7. Gideon is getting ready. He has the men camped. <clears throat> and God says to Gideon, Well, um, you've got too many men, actually, to go fight this battle. So, I want to get the glory. I want Israel to know that I'm the one they need to depend on, that they didn't win the battle. So, what I want you to do, what I want you to do, is tell the ones that are scared they can go home. So Gideon goes in front of the guys. All right, those of you who are scared, go home. Well, 22,000 of these guys, of the 32,000, were scared, just like Gideon. I wonder if Gideon tried to go home. Anyway, so they leave and go home, and that leaves 10,000 guys. And remember earlier in the story where it said that you couldn't even begin to count the people they were facing? I mean, I imagine, maybe you have your study Bible that tells you how many were there. I don't know. But thousands and tens of thousands, like you can even count them. And he only has 10,000. Surely God can get the glory from that, right? Surely. No. God says no. No, you still got too many men. So what I want you to do, I want you to go down and tell them to drink water. And we'll sort it out there. All right. That's strange. So we go down to the water. And essentially God says the 300, 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites to your hands. So they had to look at the two different ways that they drank the water. And only 300 did it one way. So God chose those men. <clears throat> Let all the other men go, each to his own place. And then in verse 9 of chapter 7, Get up, go against the camp, I'm giving it into your hands with your 300 men. And Gideon, love Gideon, I just love this. God says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, if you're still afraid, go down to the valley, go down to the camp and listen and you'll be encouraged. So Gideon goes, he goes down there with one of his uh, servants, I believe, and goes down there and listens, and this is what he hears upon arriving at one of the tents. Somebody was relaying a dream that they had had, and they said, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And the guy's friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So Gideon worshiped the Lord. And he's encouraged. And he goes and he gets the guys ready and he gives them trumpets and empty jars and he torches. And he says, do what I do. And when we shout, shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And let's do this. Okay? So they go down. They get there. Blow the trumpets. 
shout, and the, God causes these people to turn on one another and kill each other. We'll skip a little bit ahead so that we don't have to read all the rest of chapter 7 and the early part of chapter 8. But essentially what happens is Gideon and his men pursue the leaders that are left and track them down, kill them. Um, some other towns decided not to help them along the way. So he went back and taught them lessons about not helping them along the way. Okay? Really ugly lessons. You should read it later. Um, very exciting. So then we get to chapter 8, verse 22. The battle is won. There's this, you know, Gideon is really popular at this point, obviously. And the people say to Gideon, rule over us. You lead us now. And Gideon says, no, let God deal with you. (laughs) Let God rule over you. But each one of you should give me a golden earring from your plunder. So they hold out the cloth and everybody throws an earring in from the plunder. Very popular in that culture and time, the earrings. And um, so he goes... And he makes, um, makes an ephod. I also looked this up on Google. I forgot to ask you about it, Wade. I'll do better next year. And essentially trying to figure out what is an ephod. I, I was kind of imagining some sort of holy, like, you know, like Pope hat kind of thing. But actually, biblically, um, in the first part of how it's used in the Old Testament, it was like this chest deal. But by this time, it said the word usage has changed, like the kind of like chest ornaments. Um, to essentially mean just a portable idol is actually what it means here. Interesting, huh? If you can believe Wikipedia. So, um, thank you for laughing at that brother who's been in ministry. Everybody else just, it's normal to use Wikipedia to get ready for a sermon. So, um, I don't have the Logos program anymore on my computer. All right. So he makes this and he places it in, I don't think that says Oprah. In verse 27, but Oprah or something, that was another one on the list. Wait, I'm really sorry. I love you. Please invite me back. All right. Um, And it says that Gideon put that there and all of Israel went to it and prostituted themselves and worshiped it there. Amazing. Amazing. And essentially, as soon as Gideon dies, they're not good to his family. Israel's not. They're not good. They forget God. And the cycle repeats itself, and again, Israel does evil inside the Lord. And you can see that pattern all the way through us, all the way through. So, I share this story with you because it's an absolutely amazing story. What a fun story, right? That in the middle of Judges, that has some other really cool, gruesome things that we have to edit even for children's church, we see this really amazing story of God rescuing people. God is in the business of redemption and rescuing. That's his mission. And we see him doing that and choosing the weakest of the weak and overcoming multitudes. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing story. And I wanted to share it with you. Now, there's three things that I think you see throughout the Bible, but also in this story, okay, that I want to share with you tonight as observations. And one is... God accomplishes his mission, his way, for his glory. God accomplishes his mission, his way, for his glory. Okay? His mission is redemption. His his mission is rescue. And his way, his way was choosing the weakest of the weak, a guy that's hiding out in a wine press. Okay? Narrowing down the army. 
walking the guy step by step in the faith journey and taking him down there and then just doing it himself, which is the amazing part, just doing it himself anyway and letting them be witnesses to what God's doing. God accomplishes his mission, his way, and intentionally, intentionally, guys, he narrows it down and does it in a way where he gets the glory. Don't miss that. Please don't miss that. And this is where we get tripped up. I think probably when we're baby believers, you know, I think we think we do our mission our way for our glory. Maybe that's kind of like a lost person kind of to baby Christian transition there. Is, and as we mature, maybe we even get to the part where it's, I want to do God's mission my way, and we can share the glory. Right? I mean, we, we, we wrestle with this all the time. And then I think another step in growth is like, okay, God, your mission, your mission, Lord, your mission, your mission. God, I'm even willing to do it your way. But um, can I have some of the glory? And we don't verbalize that. We don't say it out loud. It just happens when God reveals to us while we're on mission with him, we've gotten a little off track or we're not getting complimented, or we're not getting what we want out of the mission that we're doing, we realize, God, man, I'm looking for some of the glory too. God accomplishes His mission, His way, His way for His glory. Guys, God will be glorified, and the accomplishment of His mission should continually bring Him glory. So if you want to be on mission with Him, what you need to understand First is what his mission is and what he's doing in the world so that you can be part of his mission and not just your mission you come up with. Number two, walking in a relationship with him step by step, which we'll talk about in a little bit, he reveals what his way to get his mission done is. And ultimately, one way maybe to evaluate if whose mission you're taking part in is evaluating who's getting the glory. Sometimes we get tripped up here because the way that God wants to go about accomplishing his mission kind of makes us look, I hope this is okay to say, like idiots. And that's the layman's version. That's the Mississippi Delta version. I'm from the Delta, so I've got a couple of layman's terms in here for you. I mean, can you imagine this? You know, if we had to sit down and develop a battle plan, let's say we as church leadership team got together, said, how are we going to save Israel from the Midianites? And we developed our strategy on what God was going to do. And we could invite you. We could have a question and answer time. We could build this whole strategy. I guarantee you that it looks nothing like that. Nothing. Even how God came up with his own nation and his own people you choose a wanderer from the desert, really, and you lead him this long way, and then you ask him to sacrifice his son, and they're old, and you have to help him have a baby. I mean, goodness, Lord, I, let me speak some sense to you, right? And that's the attitude we get with the Lord. Sometimes being on mission with the Lord, you get to a point where um, it just doesn't make good human sense. Sometimes, and and as I watch these stories of missionaries and listen to Jamie in the mall, and in the mall, 
the story about the terrorist attack on the mall and then her talking about, you know, but I'm, think, I'm now thankful for that experience and what God has done and brought us through. Really? Think about that. We as humans looking at God's plan there and being like, God, this, this doesn't make sense to me. What you're doing here doesn't make sense. We go to a member care conference and come back and we're moving to the state. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense. We, we commit to, 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 to moving abroad in 10 days and we're pregnant at that point and we don't even know. And, and then we, we're supposed to take a baby away from, you know, like, God, this doesn't make sense. And what I'm just trying to help you guys understand that, that being a part of God, God's mission is doing it His way. Is doing it his way. And obviously being in the word and letting godly mentors guide you in that way. And I'm not saying come and go and dent the craziest thing you can think of. No. It's being a part of what God is doing. And sometimes we might, you know, look like we are with the D-U-M-B. That's a good way to use that there. So my question and kind of challenge here for you guys. Where do you need to repent of wanting to do God's mission your way. Where do you need to repent of maybe trying to share in that glory? Because he accomplishes his mission his way for his glory. The second thing I want you to see here is, and this is like the longest point I've ever had in my life, seriously. So long. Being on mission with the Lord is a series of faith steps that lead you to a deeper relationship with him. I should have put that on PowerPoint or something. Being on mission with the Lord is a series of faith steps that lead you to a deeper relationship with Him. What I see all over this story, guys, is God saying to Gideon, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Am I enough? Am I enough? Is me being with you enough to accomplish this? Am I enough? Do you trust me? It's all over this story. And if we're going to be on mission with the Lord, we have to believe that he's enough. We have to really, really, really believe that he's enough. And we have to trust him. You know, if we had a highlight reel, like ESPN, SportsCenter, after a whole day of college football, that night, turn it on, we have seven minutes of top plays. Well, if we had a top plays from this story... And it were seven minutes long. The first five minutes um, would be Gideon trying to work up the faith and courage to go. Wait on me, God. I'll be back. Comes back. Okay, God. I'll do what you ask me to. We're going to go at night. Okay, guys. We're going to go at night. And then fleece. And then don't be mad. Actually, that's what he says to God. Don't be mad. Let's do this again a different way. And I feel like the first five minutes we'd be banging our head against the wall. And, and then you have like a minute and 45 seconds of battle action and then like 15 seconds of the ephod. Um, but you know why I love this story about Gideon? And I'm making fun of him and this is why I'm doing that because that's me. That's me. And that's why I'm in love with this story is because, you know, Gideon's faith is on the struggle bus. Seriously. His faith is on the struggle bus And time and time again, that's where I find myself, is there. Where else in the Bible, and maybe I need to change my worldview, maybe I need to change my view of the Lord, where else in the Bible do we see somebody 
go back and forth with God like this. You know, you do see it with Abraham arguing with God a little bit. But where do you see God say, all right, let's go do this. And the guy's like, well, here's the thing. Um, And they have a little debate and then another one and then another one and then another one. We, sometimes we think of these faith heroes, right? God told David, and he went down, and he killed Goliath. Amen. And we're like, woo, I can never do that, but woo, you know? And we see all these faith heroes throughout the Old Testament, and we put them up on a pedestal, and we think, man, God said go, and they went. And, and I don't know, for me, you know, sometimes I don't always relate to those characters very well. And I see here where someone wrestles with the Lord, someone who is weak and of little faith, God holds his hand. God holds his hand. You know, a lot of times our worldview causes us to look at God and think that he's telling us what to do. And if we don't do it, he's going to kick us. You know what I mean? And we certainly see, I think, of John the Baptist's dad when he's in the temple and the angel comes and says, you're going to have a son that you've been praying for, you know, you've been hoping for. And he says, how do I know that's going to happen? And that was not the right response because then he doesn't even get, he's, he's a dumb mute until John the Baptist is born. I mean, like, that's my view of God. It's like, if I don't do this, I'm going to get dos patadas, like a, a kick, it's a couple of kicks, you know. And then in this story, we have the privilege of seeing a character that I feel like I can relate to, and I'm sure that you feel like you can relate to. One that wants a relationship with us. One that we see, just like I said, being on mission with the Lord is a series of faith steps that leads you to a deeper relationship with Him. Step by step, every day, going and and realizing, like, okay, God, we're going to go. Oh, wait one second. Okay, God, I'm ready. Okay. Okay, God, I've got my army. We're going to go. Knowing that He is... Scared to death on the inside. And God brings it up this time. God says, Gideon, if you're still scared, God brings it up. If you're still scared, go and listen. And you'll be encouraged. I'm going to take care of this. So guys, when you think about being on mission with God, and you think, man, I'm the weakest of the weakest. I can't even go across the street, much less around the world. I'm the weakest. How am I going to do this? Hear the Lord saying, oh, mighty warrior." Oh, mighty warrior. And then when you look and say, man, but there's this many unreached people groups, and I don't know Arabic, and I definitely don't know Mandarin, and how are we going to conquer? I can even count the number of unreached people groups out there. They're more than the sand of the sea. How are we going to do this? Step by step. Step by step. With a deeper and deeper relationship with Him. So my question for you here is... What's the next step? That's the question. What's the next step? And I would invite you to chew on that throughout the next couple of days and leave Wednesday night knowing what the next step is. Okay? Chew on that. Leave Wednesday night knowing, knowing, not hoping, not thinking, knowing. Spend time with the Lord. Ask Him. Seek Him. Figure out what the next step is. And just one more thing I want to mention here about the way that God goes about this is that 
God never allows Gideon to depend on himself. Ever. You have your army? Okay, I got 32,000 guys. Let's do this. Okay, now I have 10,000. Now I have 300. Well, okay, God, you've got to do this because I have 300 guys. A part I skipped, they're hungry. They have no food, and the town they go through won't give them any. So this is a guy that doesn't even have any food. It's like, oh, we can eat after the battle. You know? It's just amazing. And that's God's compassion, I think. That's God being gracious because he never lets Gideon get to the point where he can trust in himself or depend on himself and then start worshiping himself and then do evil in the sight of the Lord again. God is gracious because he leads us to do things for his glory so that he's the one that deserves the worship. We worship him. God's gracious to us in that he doesn't allow us to stay on a path where we worship ourselves and depend on themselves. I just think that's God's grace to save us from ourselves, from self-reliance, from self-worship. You were made for mission. God is with you. And then the last point I have here, and it's a short one, that I see here and I see all over the Bible. We have a tendency to fall in love with the provision and not the provider. I'll say that again. We have a tendency to fall in love with the provision and not the provider. Man, red flags pop up when I see this in this story where God does something amazing. And the people's reaction is, Gideon, you lead us. Do you see the issue there? And Gideon says, no, I'm going to point you to God. Okay, let God lead you. No, we don't want to do that. God, the provider, delivers them, and they want to worship Gideon. Do you see this in this story? Okay. Then Gideon, for whatever reason, makes his portable idol deal and sets it up. And so instead of the people going from Gideon up to the provider, up to the deliverer, the one who redeems and, and, and takes care of them, they go this way. Well, if we can't worship Gideon, then uh, let's worship the little gold thing he made. And they start worshiping that. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. And you see this again in the Old Testament, in Exodus. What do the Israelites do? God delivered them out of Egypt, sent them with gold and livestock. I mean, they paraded out. They didn't escape in the middle of the night, folks. They paraded out with God's provision. And they get out in the desert, and then they're like, huh, what should we worship? Hey, let's take the the gold that God gave us, and, and let's make a calf to worship. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this way to make a point that time and time again, God delivers us. God provides his salvation. God answers our prayers. And we take that answer and we worship it. We think the answer is our salvation. And you know, you know how we can tell this? God's good and he gives us things and he provides from us. And as soon as he takes it away, as soon as God takes it away, it's own, buddy. Right? As soon as God takes that thing away from us that he gave us, that we love, we have a fit. And I just want to warn you guys, and I think it's an important warning, because let me tell you something. If we're on mission with him, mighty warrior, on mission with him, doing his mission, his way for his glory, Right? Taking those, those baby steps, just like Gideon. 
in a relationship with the Lord, God's going to do something. He is. Like, it's not if. It's like, oh, well, maybe if, you know, I'm on mission with the Lord, he might do something. He's already doing something. Go join him. It's happening. He's going to do it, okay? But be careful. Be careful not to fall in love with his mission more than him. Or where his mission's taking place more than him. And I speak to you out of experience. When, uh, and this is something I share with Jason. I don't know. I think I might have shared it with you. <coughs> and I hope this is okay to say. But um, as soon as I realized that we were leaving Ecuador, um, and I reflected on our four years there, and I was trying to figure out, man, why does this hurt so bad? You know, why, why does going back to a place I was born hurt so bad? And I realized that at times um, I have been more in love with Ecuador than I have been with the Lord. And I, I, I confess that to you. I repent of that. But I just want to be transparent with you because if you're not careful, you fall in love with your church or you're this, or you're that, that are elements of what God has given you and providing for you and the work he's doing in and through you. And as soon as he asks you to step outside of that, you have a fit, an absolute fit. And it's hard to be on mission when you're fighting with your provider. You're made for mission. Mighty warrior. His mission, his way, for his glory. Please think about what is that next step? If you haven't begun to ask that question, each of you has a next step. Without doubt. Across the street and around the world. Don't fall in love with the provider. Fall in love with the provider. Don't fall in love with just what he's providing. What's your next step?